Welcome to the Investor Download, the podcast about the themes driving markets and the economy now and in the future. I'm your host, David Brett. Jack, we know the linear economy is about take, make and waste. And we know the circular economy is about take, make, reuse. But could you give us more of an idea of what the circular economy is actually about and how we do things? Yeah, sure. Uh, good question, Joe. I mean, the simplest way to think about it is, is if you think about today we live in a linear economy, as you said, take, make, waste. So if you think about, you know, it's almost a conveyor belt. You're taking stuff, you're making something from it, you're using it, and then it becomes waste, right? So often it ends up in a landfill or, I don't know, you can picture plastic bottles in an ocean, right? And that's not sustainable. So a circular economy is all about turning that line into a circle, so instead of stuff falling off that conveyor belt and becoming waste, it's reused or repurposed and becomes something else of value. Um, and why that's important and, and the kind of main reason that we care about a circular economy is that um, our global economy today consumes too much resources. So the best way to think about what the circular economy, I guess, aims to achieve, it's all about decoupling economic growth from resource consumption. Um, and that's, you know, the ultimate aim. Um, the other, I guess, thing to pull out from the circular economy, and it's also why we quite like it as a sustainability theme, is that a lot of sustainability often seems a bit reductive. So, you know, don't go on that flight, don't eat red meat, um, you know, don't buy new stuff, um, which is, you know, all well and good and does have a positive impact, so we can't uh, we can't fault it. But we don't want to detract away from economic growth. You know, people still want to have more stuff. People want to have better lives. People want to have better standards of living. And the circular economy is one way to achieve that of if we can grow our economies, if we can grow the economy um, without using up all our resources effectively, because we've, we're already doing that. We're already, we're already using more resources than we consume, or we're already consuming more resources than we produce um, and still leave economic growth unimpacted, it can be a pretty powerful uh, powerful outcome. Great. And that all, that all makes perfect sense that we're over-consuming currently as, as an economy. And as a nation and globally, we're trying to reduce our dependency on fossil fuels and, and resources. But what kind of things or how can we address the circular economy? Well, how do we get there? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the way we look at it, and I guess the way others look at it as well is... Um, I guess what sort of stuff do you do on a bottom-up basis to, to you know, as you said, achieve that outcome? And the three, I guess, pillars of that are keeping products and materials in use. So, you know, I said in the first example of the stuff falling off the conveyor belt and becoming waste. If we can stop that becoming waste, we don't need to use new materials. So globally today, all the waste we produce in the world, only 14% of it is recycled. If we can find a way to move that 14% to 100% or somewhere close to it, um, that means we need a hell of a lot less materials. It's also more economical because all that stuff we throw away has a value. And it also creates growth opportunities for, for companies to you know help bridge that gap, whether it's the companies collecting waste, the companies recycling it. There's a huge amount of work to be done. So that's the kind of first pillar. The second one is about designing out waste and pollution. So how do we make products that don't produce waste or don't produce pollution? So like a really simple example of that is, you know, we're in the UK, um, a lot of people have gas boilers in their homes for heating. So obviously you're using gas, which is a fossil fuel. Um, how do we now make products that 
don't produce that pollution associated. So if you think about something, you know, it's in the news a lot around heat pumps, um, that's a way to, I guess, electrify your heating supply. And if that electricity comes from renewable sources, you've, by choosing a set different product, you've helped design out waste and pollution. Um, and then the third pillar is around regenerating natural system and that really regenerating natural systems. And that really ties into using less non-renewable resources. And so, you know, the big culprits there are the likes of oil and gas. So how do we transition from oil and gas to stuff, um, you know, I guess alternative fuels or alternative products. So if you think about one, electrifying the grid, or two, using stuff like biofuels or, again, a big topic today, sustainable aviation fuel. How do we fly a plane without producing emissions? And the best answer we've got today is we transition to sustainable aviation fuel, which can reduce the emissions from, from airplanes by over 90%. So again, it's tying those three pillars together, or I guess the kind of stepping stones to, to how we achieve it. So we've got to be more conscious about what we extract into the loop, keep things in the loop for longer, and think about what happens when they reach their end of their life and, and taking them apart and remaking them into different things or putting them back into the loop. And this is all great. And we know we're extracting more resources than the earth is producing, which is obviously going to run out at some point. And what happens then or or is that going to happen? Yeah, I mean... Um Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully, it doesn't happen. Um, I mean, I mean, again, it's coming back to that decoupling economic growth from from resource consumption. So, as you said, we're using more than we produce. So, I mean, I guess to put some numbers around that, of the you know whole planet Earth today, we're using about one hundred and seventy percent of the resources that the planet naturally produces each year. So, you know, we're using more than we produce, yeah. and obviously, that's not incredibly sustainable. I mean, just like your bank account, if you spent 170% of what you earn each year, you're, you're going to find <laughs> you're yourself in, in, a, in a lot of trouble or you're going to be asking your, your boss for a big pay rise at the end of the year. And um, you don't always get a good answer to that. Um, so that, so that, I guess that's the main issue. And, you know, we're at 170%, which equates to 1.7 planet Earths. Um, as early as, you know, as recently as the 1970s, we were using one planet Earth, right? So in that time period, obviously it's been a great, whatever, 50 three years of economic growth, right? And the planet's really, you know, the global economy's really come a long way. But we've done that on the back of using more and more and more resources. So we've gone to the point of using one planet Earth to 1.7 planet Earths. And so if we then we look forward over the next 30 years out to 2050, the UN projects there'll be nine or 10 billion plant, people, planet, or people on the planet. Um, and, you know, everyone's got the ambition to have a higher standard of living. And unfortunately, in today's world, the a higher standard of living perfectly correlates to using more resources. So if you think about, you know, the emerging class in Asia or I guess what will become emerging class in Africa, um, all those people will want more stuff. We're heading towards a path where we're going to need three planet Earths by 2050. But then if everyone was to say live like someone from North America, that would be five. So, you know, it's quite urgent as to... Um, you know, to doing something about that. And, and the, the the only real answer we see is is transitioning to a more circular economy to really tackle that, you know, need to decouple economic growth from resource consumption. Um, you know, the other side of that and a kind of a byproduct of using too much resources is around, you know, decarbonisation and, and, and um, tackling greenhouse gas emissions. So it's not something that gets a huge amount of press compared to, um, I guess, you know, renewables are all the kind of front page uh, front page news, but 45% of greenhouse gas emissions come from the way we make and use things. Uh, and that includes agriculture. So if you think about the need to make steel or cement or plastics, chemicals, um, 
obviously they all produce emissions, but they can't be solved by electrification alone or, or you know rolling out renewables alone. So if we don't do anything to tackle those 45% of emissions and the growth in those, because obviously as the world uses more of those resources and needs more food, et cetera, and those emissions grow, if we don't tackle them, we actually don't do anything to achieve the 2050 um, Paris Climate Goals. Um, and so, you know, we like to say internally, you know, we see no net zero without a without a circular economy. And so, you know, the decoupling economic growth from resource com- consumption, there's the tackling um, the climate change. And then also, you know, increasing focus and then a definitely bigger focus at Trout as well as is around natural capital. Um, so 90% of biodiversity loss comes from um, extractive industries. You know, if we transition to a circular economy, we need less extractive industries. You know, as I spoke about, if we can recycle more, we need less, you know, new inputs. Um, and so by transitioning to a circular economy, we can also help tackle um, biodiversity loss. And so we find it's a pretty... Um, you know, three urgent kind of environmental sustainability needs, um, but one pretty, pretty clear, pretty clear solution. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. So we're talking there about Earth Overshoot Day and how, and how that's increasing as as the years go on, and we're using more and more resources every year, and that day is getting earlier and earlier. And you're quite right that people in emerging markets will want to increase their lifestyles and and that all takes resources and you and i we still want to be able to go on holiday and and do things so that really isn't the answer to all this um and you know we're sat here now with chili bottles reusable water bottles and we go down the supermarket with a tote bag because we know plastic bags aren't aren't great um but why is all this kind of happening now or or what's driving the growth in the circular economy yeah i mean uh, that's the you know Often the best question we get asked is, I guess, why now? Um, I mean, I just touched on decarbonisation, right? I mean, decarbonisation gets a lot of focus. So we've had the EU Green Deal. We've got the Inflation Reduction Act in the US. Um, you know, it seems like the whole world is on board with tackling decarbonisation. So that's that's one element to it. Um, you know, regulation specific to, I guess, the circular economy, as we spoke about, you know, not using plastic bags, which I guess we've been not using for quite a while now. Um the EU has its circular economy action plan, which is a lot of prescriptive legislation on, you know, reducing waste, um, re- making packaging more recyclable, uh, improving agricultural practices. In China, there's a five-year circular economy development plan around precisely decoupling economic growth from resource consumption. So they've got specific targets on, um, they want to reduce water use per unit of GDP growth. They want to reduce uh, material use per unit of GDP growth, which is, you know, you know, quite a powerful message, I guess, if if you're setting out those targets as a country level and it's up to, I guess, companies and consumers to achieve it. Um, and then, you know, in the US, the US is the biggest economy in the world. We don't have a kind of federal level circular economy legislation, um, but you do see on a state level, and I guess it depends politically where those state lo- states lie, um, but you definitely along the coast, you've got bigger focus on reducing packaging waste, you know, driving recycling rates um, and, you know, tying, I guess, into those three pillars I spoke about on a, on a on a circular economy basis. And then you even have countries in emerging markets where, um, you know, they're the first step on a, on a long journey, but, you know, the banning of single-use plastics, the move away from, you know, as you said, plastic bags going to the supermarket, they're small steps, but they all matter um, on that journey, I guess, to, you know, one, may, you know, force change through legislation, but two, also changing consumers' behavior. So I guess that's the that's the first big one. Um, the second one, which again is, is kind of really 
grown in focus over the last couple of years is, is around supply chains and how, you know, deglobalization is maybe, you know, forcing a change in, in how companies and, and governments as well want to think about um, how their economies are supplied. So you're seeing a greater focus on moving supply chains back closer to where the consumption actually occurs. And obviously there's a lot of reasons for that, you know, the supply chain delays over COVID, there's a greater, I guess, geopolitical tension as well. Um, but I guess specific to the circular economy, if you can, if you've got materials that you can use to support your economy, or support your economic growth in your economy, and they're leaving as waste, or they're leaving, you know, to, to be recycled somewhere else, that doesn't make a lot of sense because, you know, it's more cost effective if you can use them there. So we're seeing a greater focus from, again, linking into that legislative push of, um, I guess, as I said, reusing those materials. So the EU has a, a critical raw materials legislation, which is, again, focusing on what materials does the EU need to operate its economy. And you know, a lot of that ties into um, materials for semiconductors or materials for EV batteries. And so there's a much greater push to start recycling those materials in the EU rather than having them leave and to go to another country, which then have to return. So, you know, it's not super efficient, but also the supply security, and you see it in the US as well, where, you know, with the Inflation Reduction Act, there's been some direct legislative push within that and funding available um, around recycling, so especially on EV batteries again. Lithium and the other kind of rare earth minerals that go into batteries are, um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that if the world moves to 100% electric cars, there may not be enough of this stuff. And so do you want to be reliant on supply chains thousands of miles across the world to supply this stuff that you need to keep your country moving? Um, the answer is probably not. So, you know, you can, if you can reuse it, um, it's more economical. I guess it keeps money in the economy, but also it, it gives you a bit more supply, uh, supply chain security. Um, the, I guess the, another reason, and, and again, kind of COVID has thrown up this a lot in greater focus, given the kind of high inflation over the last couple of years, is that it can often be more profitable. And, you know, when people, when companies make decisions to uh, be more profitable, it's kind of, it's just capitalism. Uh, it's not sustainable, even though... The outcome can, is, but... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can, you, you, they, they can go hand in hand. Um, and so you know, seen examples of companies, you know, specifically in, you know, Europe around, um, I guess, the energy crisis last year, where companies had invested in, you know, heat recovery plants are using biomass from production or from their own supply chain to, uh, or sorry, from their own value chain to um, produce energy. And those are the companies that did a lot better, supported their profitability and margins. And so we're increasingly seeing that if you can have better control of your raw materials, you can adopt uh, circular economy practices, you have better control over your costs. And if you have better control of your costs, you probably have better control of your margins. So again, it's an increasing push. And you know, every, every day when we're out meeting companies are, are reading sets of results, the circular economy is getting a better focus because it's a way to improve profitability. Um, and then I guess the, the final push is around demographics and I guess demographics is spoken about in an investment way is um, it's often kind of the world aging which the world is obviously aging uh, definitely in the western world and may not be everywhere else but um, when it comes to circular economy we definitely see a higher propensity propensity for younger consumers to push for more sustainable products so again you think of the likes of Coca-Cola which is probably like the bastion of capitalism in the US they have very stringent recycling targets for 2025 and 2030. They want to, they're using more cans rather than plastic. Um, 
I don't think they're doing that for the good of their own heart. They're doing it probably because their end consumer wants to associate with a brand that is sustainable. And so that's well and good, right? And I, you know, that's something that, again, it's not just Coca-Cola that is doing that. It's, it's across the economy. But if you think about that change, so for 30 years, you've had increasing penetration of plastic in, the, you know, in bottles and Cokes, or bottles of Coke, bottles of water, et cetera, et cetera. That used to come in glass and aluminium and steel, which are all infinitely recyclable, which is very circular economy, right? Because it's yeah. it's in a loop. Um, and then it was more cost effective to put it in PET plastic. And so, again, Coca-Cola as a, and you know, not just Coca-Cola, all kind of beverage companies started pushing plastic more because they could charge the same, put it in a lower cost packaging, and they could make more money. It made sense, right? It's still, plastic is still the cheaper one, right? But it's not the most sustainable one. And so you're seeing companies change because their consumers are demanding it. And so if you think about, you know, much wider than just packaging, if you think about that transitioning across the whole economy of consumers demanding all this stuff, it's a pretty powerful tailwind. And so, you know, it's happening because of regulation, it's happening because of consumer demand, and it's happening because of, you know, companies' desire to make more money because the circular economy can be a driver of profitability. So we're talking about a big resource gap here, Jack, and there's a big number up for up for stakes to solve some of the problems by 2050. What are the kind of problem areas or where do we need to focus on to uh, to find solution providers? Yeah, I mean, again, so this is just a complete question of demand exceeding supply. So when we look across, you know, the economy and, and where the biggest, I guess, issues lie, the biggest problems are, um, we see them in waste, in water, uh, in construction of materials, in energy and transport, and the fifth one is we see it in the natural capital space, uh, specifically in, in, in agriculture. Okay, great. So what kind of solution providers or, or what, what kind of problems need to be solved in, in a couple of those? We know um, that, as you mentioned earlier, going on planes is bad, but that's unlikely to stop. Um, yeah, so what well, kind of I hope solutions? You probably think, you're probably <laughs> hoping that it doesn't stop. I, I mean, like in energy and transport, um, Fossil fuels are the single biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions, right? And so, you know, electrification is the answer there, right? So we need to electrify the economy. Um, but that's only obviously only sustainable if it's being provided by renewable fuels. And so that's an obviously a very interesting area of investment and an area that will see a lot of growth. Um, but there's also a lot of areas that, you know, electrification don't work for today. So the plain example, you know, if you speak to Boeing and Airbus, they're more focused on the sustainable aviation fuel um, that's probably one. Two is probably hydrogen. And then, I don't know, electrification might be in 30 or 40 years or something like that, if they can make it work. Obviously, you're going to have to make a, Mac, make a plane that is... A big battery to fly. Yeah, big old battery, yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of companies that are tackling that sustainable aviation fuel, which is, you know, a tiny market today. But, you know, even if 25% of planes were flown on sustain, were flown with sustainable aviation fuel rather than jet fuel, that is a, you know, a long, long runway of growth. And so... You know, there's companies in the US like Darling Ingredients who, you know, collect waste products. And then they have a JV uh, called Diamond Green Diesel, where today they make biofuels and they are investing into um, plants that will make sustainable aviation fuel. In Europe, in Finland, there's a company called UPM, who are traditionally a forest products company, which is a kind of fancy way of saying they make stuff from trees. Um, and they, you know, are predominantly still involved in kind of paper and pulp and... Um, kind of anything you can make from trees, essentially plywood, et cetera. Um, but what's really exciting about them is that they're investing into 
well, one, they've got a biofuels plant in, in Finland, which is small, but again, it uses waste products from trees and makes fuel from it, which is like pretty amazing if you think about, um, you know, making fuel from trees. Um, and, you know, one of their big investments they hope to make over the next couple of years is a billion euro plant in Rotterdam that will be biofuels, but they think they've got the capabilities to make it a sustainable aviation fuel. So again, that's a high growth market. It's not a market everyone can play in because it's very difficult to do, but also sustainable aviation fuel, Garden is a massive premium compared to um, traditional jet traditional, fuel. Or- exactly. And so there's a very, um, you know, very strong economic reward for those companies who can do it. And so, you know, that's where, you know, these problems need solutions and the companies who can provide the solutions are going to get, you know, going to get well paid for it. And that's, you know, one of the reasons why we really like the circular economy as an investment theme. That's amazing that we can take, you know, animal products here and turn them into to jet fuel and, that the circular economy can solve everything from the planes that fly above to uh, to what kind of t-shirts and trousers we we buy as well. Um, any other kind of examples here? We think about construction or materials. Some of the, there's so much building work going around just around here in in the square mile, and um, see plenty of houses at the moment with skips outside. How do we? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a bit, you know construction and demolition is often you know the biggest source of waste still in definitely in developing markets, and you know how do we? turn that waste back into a usable product, because a lot of it can be, right? So, um, you know, if you think of something like steel, uh, there's an interesting company uh, based in Germany, but they've plants all over the world called Befesa. They um, they collect waste products from the steel industry. So if, if you're a steel mill, you can basically infinitely recycle uh, steel, right? So you can take old steel from a building that's been torn down and you can make it back into new steel um, if you've got the right plant, Smelting right? And, yeah. Yeah, so they, they tend to be in electric arc furnaces rather than ones that um, BOF, which use um, coke and coal and iron ore that's obviously dug out the ground. Obviously, a circular economy. Fans, we prefer the, the recycled steel, not the not the virgin one. Um, but what's interesting about Professor is when you recycle stainless steel, the zinc that you've used to galvanize it uh, comes out as a waste product and it's hazardous, right? Um, so you can't just go and chuck it anywhere you want, right? There's definitely in the developed world, there's a uh, very strong, very strange regulations around how it's treated. But what's interesting about Professor is they collect that, they get paid to collect it, and they bring it, and then they process it back into zinc. And then that zinc is sold to, well, a byproduct of zinc, which is then sold to zinc smelters who make it back into zinc and sell it back to the steel makers, right? So this, you know, perfect loop almost. Um, but again, if we think about, we want to invest in companies that grow, um, and we want those growth to be driven by the circular economy. So if you look at the plans in the US, Europe and China, which make up the vast majority of the kind of global steel market, um, each of those regions want to use more, want to have a higher degree of recycled steel in the future than today. So China is the world's biggest steel market and they, I think today, uh, only 15% of the market is recycled versus 85%, which is made using coke and coal and iron ore. Um, and they want to get it to, I think it's 30% by 2030. So you build more recycled steel plants, you produce more of this hazardous waste, and that all needs to be treated. And Bethesda, as a world leader in um, steel dust collection is what it's called, they can collect all that hazardous waste, process it back into zinc, sell it, and that can end up back to make more stainless steel. So again, it's that perfectly circular model. But if you think about the growth that's coming from the transition from, I guess, using coal and iron ore to make steel to using recycled steel. Um, that's a very long runway of growth and they can do that at high margins and, and good returns on capital. And so again, it's that tying um, tying together the growth driven by the circular economy, but also the 
financial reward of delivering on it. Um, you know, again, that's what that's what we find really interesting about, about the theme. So that's get in touch with us by email at shorterspodcasts at shorters.com or visit our website shorters.com forward slash investor download. Wow, so there's a, there's a big opportunity here of about $25 trillion, $25 trillion here that if we do not reach the three planet Earths that you mentioned earlier by 2050, there's a lot of areas that, that can benefit here and, and companies that can benefit too. Um, I mean, you and I have been looking at a lot of reporting accounts for companies at the moment. You know, we can do a control F and search the circular economy. There's a lot of companies commenting on this, but we know from the likes of, you mentioned Coca-Cola earlier and you walk through the supermarket and some of the FMCG businesses aren't really circular economy businesses just because they use a recycled bottle or they uh, they break down a bit easier. Um, so what do we need to do here to make sure we are targeting those solution providers that are really going to aid the transition to a circular economy? Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, that's a great way of summarizing it up. And I think the best way, and, and um, obviously I would say that, but uh, I think the best way to think about it and the way we do think about it is do their re- does a company's revenue and profits increase? Um, are they driven by the need for a more circular economy? Okay. So are people buying or drinking more Coca-Cola because it's a recycled bottle or it's in a can? I mean, you tell me. <laughs> I, I, I think the answer is I think the answer is no. no. I mean, do they buy more? Maybe they keep buying it because they it is in better packaging. But it seems like the whole world has transitioned to this more path again, depending what part of the world you're in, of course. Um, but I mean, the very simple way I think we need to look at it is, is, is that do people buy more of their products because of the need for a circular economy transition? And so we don't see companies that package their products in recyclable or recycled material packaging as circular economy investment themes, right? Because you know, as an investor, if you're investing in a theme, you want the, you know, that theme to drive the, I guess, the future prospects of the company, right? Um, so we want to be sure that when we're investing is that, you know, we see a need to decouple economic growth from resource consumption. And so we want the companies we're investing behind um, to benefit on the back of them. And so we want to be quite stringent in how we, you know, assess that. And it comes back to you know, is it designing a waste and pollution? Is it keeping products and materials in use? And is it regenerating natural system? And if the need for the product is achieving one of those three things, um, then we can we think we can invest behind it because the company's prospects would improve on the back of that transition. But we do know the companies that get it right are acquiring customers and, and customer acquisition is, is expensive for businesses. And we know that people, if they are truly paying up for sustainable materials, we do want them time and time and again. And uh, so do we need to score companies here or, or how do we really distill some of the investment world into the, the sort of pure play operators that we want to look at? Yeah, I mean, so everyone can have a different approach. The one we've gone with is we have a circular score framework. So we look at, as I said, the company's products and services. Is the need for that driven by a circular economy transition? Um that is one element of the score. But then we also want to understand how a company goes about providing those products or services, you know. So if they're using raw materials, where are they getting them from? What are they doing with the waste? You know, is that sustainable? Is it not sustainable? 
are they using a lot of water? Is that water being treated before being released back into, you know, the rivers or the oceans? You know, we want the answer to be yes. Are they using lots of energy? Is that coal? Is it renewable? You know, hopefully the latter. Um, and then also, like, you know, what are they doing about their supply chain? You know, there's a lot of companies out there who have, you know, kind of good sustainability profiles because they don't actually make anything. They outsource the production of, of, of what they sell. And so it's a kind of, well, it's not my emissions, it's someone down the chain, but the end product is got same emissions. So we want to know what are they doing about the waste, the energy usage, the emissions um, in their supply chain. And also, you know, are they, uh, you know, is, is everyone in the supply chain being treated, uh, being treated fairly? Um, and then we also want to know, you know, is the management team aligned with achieving these goals? You know, we want to see management pay incentivized to a degree on achieving environmental outcomes, which again are aligned with circular economy principles. And so we factor all that in and then we also consider the risk profile of, you know, if you're a brand new company and you've got this unbelievable product that's going to, I don't know, change the world, um, that's that's great, right? And that's a potentially high impact circular economy investment. But we also need to be cognizant that um, not every investment works out, right? So we've got to factor in risk to it as well. Um, and so when we combine all those up in a kind of quantitative framework, we get a score if the company exceeds a score of 50, they can be included in, you know, our investments. But if not, um, we're not include. You know, they 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 don't pass the bar to be included in any fund. And so, I guess it's our way of making sure that we're one investing in those solution providers, but also you know providing investors with you know a genuine and authentic um, exposure to to a to a theme that we see as you know a you know an enduring and a, and a secular growth theme. And so, it's it's all about. Um, you know, really making sure that every single investment is aligned with the growth of the circular economy. Because I think when people invest into a circular economy theme, they're investing behind the theme. They're not investing behind, I guess, good citizens who might, like Coca-Cola, who might put their stuff in a, in a recycled bowl, but the demand for those products aren't being driven by a circular by economy transition. Yeah. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, please head to schroders.com forward slash insights. And we're endeavouring to record as many of these shows in the studio on video. If you want to watch them in their full unabridged version, uh, then go to Schroder's YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch with us, it's Schroder's podcast at schroders.com. And remember, you can listen, subscribe and review the Investor Download wherever you get your podcasts. New shows drop every Thursday at 5pm UK time. But above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up. Investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products or to adopt any investment strategy. 